today's message, we're going to be taking a look at Jesus's first sign. Now, in the scriptures, a sign has two um, primary purposes. One, to authenticate the person who he says he is who he says. So in this case, authenticating that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The second is that it authenticates the message of that person. And so in this message, we're going to take a look at that very first sign that Jesus uh, performs. The interesting thing is very few people at that event, which was a wedding reception in Cana, knew about it. Only a few people and those who read the Gospel of John. So we're going to get a good look at the authentication of who Jesus is by that first sign. Come and look with me as we investigate his authentication. If you have your Bibles, if you please turn to John chapter 2. We have um, ventured on this road to make sure that if Jesus comes in our lifetime, that he will find faith in us and into our friends and family members if we uh, meet him before he comes. John is going to um, continue writing about Jesus and the purposes that we might find faith. And he now takes us to a little town that's in Cana, which is about, there's some questions as the exact place of where Cana was located, but it's believed it is about 11 miles northeast of Nazareth. So when we last saw Jesus, he and his uh, new disciples had journeyed from uh, there where John the testifier was baptizing up into Galilee, and now they are there uh, on this occasion. So it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So apparently she probably knew the family or, or whatever, but, but she was there present uh, with, with the wedding party. It says, And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, so apparently Mary didn't need an invitation because maybe family or whatever, but Jesus and the disciples were invited. Um, I'm one of those people who I don't mind going to the wedding because it lasts like about 30 minutes. I'm not a big person who likes to go to the reception because they never cut the cake on time and then, you know, and it's when is this thing going to be over? You know, but but that's this is an opportunity in in the Jewish culture to meet your family and your friends and have a good time and to celebrate this this uniting of this couple together. And so, both Jesus and his disciples um, attend not only the wedding but apparently the reception and the and the uh, good times that followed. This is, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So that's why I think Mary, Mary is um, a friend of the family or something, because she takes it upon herself to say, we got a problem. It's run out. And in, in their culture, this is not just a 
social faux pas. This is something that years after the wedding, everybody will say, can you believe it? They ran out of wine. What a, what a bad party it was. And so there's this problem and that Mary goes to Jesus saying, they've run out of wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is I have used the word woman to my wife in the past <laughs> once because <laughs> she was not happy, probably not only because I used the term, but because the way I used it. But in this case, Jesus is not being um, flippant or disrespectful to his mother. He has used the word woman, I think, in a couple instances. One, in the sense of that she, he is no longer under her authority, but he's not being disrespectful. And why do I, and am I just coming to his rescue? No. When he is hanging on the cross and he has been beaten and scourged and mocked and ridiculed and is there on the cross, he looks to, which we believe is John, who is writing this, and says, Son, behold your mother. Woman, behold your son. So in this case, he is being protective and making sure his mother is being provided for. So in this sense, he is saying, woman, in that sense. Okay, so it's not disrespectful. He's still a, a following under the the, the law that says you're to honor your mother and father. But he does make the point, what does that have to do with us? It's not my problem. And on top of that, my hour has not yet come. He is not yet to go on his road to showing exactly who he is and what his ministry is because there is a particular timing that God the Father has set for his ministry. So he's saying, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, Mary is such a mom. She doesn't take no for an answer. It reminds me when I was a kid, I was a teenager, and I wasn't feeling good. And my mom goes, you need to mow the yard. I go, mom, I don't feel good. She goes, that's okay. You'll feel better when you're finished. You know, moms just don't take no for an answer. And so Jesus goes, my tower is not yet come. What does it have to do with us? She doesn't take no for an answer. She says to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, you do that. So now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 30, 20 or 30 gallons each. So there's six of these things which with the potential of having 120 to 180 gallons of water. And they're used for purification. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. So they filled them up so there's at least more than 120 to 180 gallons of water in these six water pots. And I want you to remember there are six of them. And he said to them, 
Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. So everybody's doing what exactly what Jesus has told them to do. Jesus has told them to put water in it. He's told them to draw water out. Jesus hasn't done anything to the water pots. He has simply verbalized instructions. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, he did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew, and the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have gripped the good until now. So what has happened is they have brought this to him, and no one knows that it used to be water. And the head waiter goes, well, wait a minute. I've been to wedding receptions before. And because people tend to be cheap, what they do is they serve the good stuff. And then once you've drunk enough and, you're, and your taste buds are a little desensitized, then you bring out the cheaper stuff because it's cheaper. And, you, and he's going, you guys have broken the custom. You've held back until now. And now you're really serving the excellent wine. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the first sign that Jesus performs, which tells us of several things. Number one, it tells us that the other pseudo gospels who talk about Jesus doing all these weird things are just that pseudo false gospels because this is the first sign. This is the first miracle that Jesus performs. Signs in these scriptures are primarily for two reasons. One, they're miracles to prove that, that authenticates who the person says they are. It authenticates Jesus' claim that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. It also authenticates their message. It authenticates Jesus' message that he is a good teacher, not simply because people don't want to acknowledge him as Messiah, but because his message is true. And these two, this sign authenticates who he is and what his message is. This sign has a number of important factors that I want to discuss with you. Now, I want you to notice, because Jesus said, my hour has not yet come, he has limited his, the knowledge of what took place to his disciples. And I'm going to assume Mary knew what's going on because she said, do whatever. And you and I were reading. Now, I noticed I told you it was six water pots with 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus could have simply said, bring one of them, and I'll solve the problem. But he has them fill all six. Why? Because our God is a God of generosity. He freely loves us. He freely forgives us. He freely brings us joy and peace. He is a rich and generous 
God. He doesn't just do just enough to get by. He provides probably way more wine that was ever needed throughout the entire reception, let alone now that the wine ran out. The second thing it tells us is that he does all things well. It is good, excellent wine. He doesn't just do things just enough to get by. He does them excellently. He makes excellent wine. Now, I'm not a wine aficionado, but this is what you need to do to have wine. You got to harvest grapes. got to mash them. You got to cause them to be fermented. You got to take some time. And then you've got to clarify so you come with a liquid that's clear. And this takes time. The miracle here is it goes from water to excellent wine in the time it takes, if you will, to go from drawing it out to tasting. Which tells me the reason that John started his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, is that this sign, this sign tells us Jesus is God and he is creator. Because he does what takes time and comes it down to simply saying, do this, and it was done. So I want to give you kind of a, an example to, to leave you with so that you kind of get what I'm talking about. So we're going to do some science fiction. I've invented a time machine. Now, I don't believe you can do that because I don't think time is linear, but I invented a time machine. And I decided this time machine that I made so that three people can go. I'm going to go because I want to observe what's happening, and I made the time machine. Second, I'm going to bring a forensic pathologist because I want him to perform an autopsy. And I'm going to bring a serial killer because I don't want to get my hands dirty. And I bring, take the three of us back and I go the day after God creates the heavens and the earth and Adam. And I have the serial killer sneak up on Adam and I have him kill Adam. Now, dealing with the whole paradox that I killed my ancestor, now I poof because I never existed, because I just killed the guy that we all started out with. But avoiding the paradox, we killed Adam. I didn't get my hands dirty. I just I had the, the guy do it. And the forensic pathologist sets Adam, and he's going to start his autopsy by saying, we have an adult male who appears to be between the age of 18 and 25. Wrong. He's a day old. God didn't create Adam as a baby. He created Adam as a man. He created the earth as if it was as we see it. Fully formed, fully whatever. It wasn't. And so when you hear people talk about well, the, the earth has to be billions of years old. I laughed this morning. I, I was watching this, this television program on the Smithsonian, and it was flying around Alaska. And in one of the scenes, it shows that this giant uh, volcano 
made um, Mount St. Helens like a just a blip. Estimated 40 miles area and hundreds of feet of ash and whatever. And this happened in, in, in the date's important, 1916, about 100 years ago. And while they're flying over, they said there's this river, this stream that cut into the rocks. It was like 40 feet deep in 100 years. But yet we're told that the Grand Canyon has to have taken millions and millions of years old. So the conundrum of what came first, the chicken or the egg, I can solve it for you. It was the chicken. God didn't create eggs and then they happened to be chickens. He created chickens and then they laid eggs. You see, God is a God who not only does all things well, he does them completely and he does it. And so the earth may appear to be billions of years old, but it is as God formed it. Now, science, because they can't say that there's a God, come up with, well, there's got to be billions of years. But all of a sudden, now they're having problems with that because they're going, well, if the Big Bang and you have the light, speed of light, even in the billions of years, we said these, the galaxies are still too vast to figure. So they said, well, there's, there's, it had to be faster than the speed of light in the beginning. So I'm going to tell you how science is finally catching up with the scriptures. And I'm going to use my handkerchief. The scriptures say that God has rolled out the heavens as a rug, as, as a... So what they're finally saying is, oh, space was like fabric and expanded, and it can go faster than the speed of light because space is like fabric expanding. Well, if they'd have read the scriptures, they'd have known that a long time ago. You see, science thinks it's so smart. The word of God has already provided. And so Jesus and this first sign is claiming and authenticating what John started the gospel with, that he is God, that he is the creator, and that we can trust him. And notice that the sign was there, and his disciples believed. Now, we were told before that when they came and they met him and they saw the scriptures and all those things, they started in their faith, and they're continuing in that faith. They're coming, and like I said, when we start in faith, we're not completely done. It's a process. We have little faith and we strengthen it and we strengthen it and we see what God does and we see what God does. And when we're kind of in doubt that God might come to the rescue, he does. And then we, our faith gets expanded and increased and strengthened. That's what's happening here. They're going, okay, we, we talked to the guy and he seems to match what the scriptures say of what the Messiah is. He just turned water into wine. He just didn't turn a cup of water into wine. He turned 120 to 180 gallons of water into wine, showing who he is, that he's not only God, but a God who is complete, who, a God who does all things well, and a God who is not one who just goes, eh, I'm, I'm uninvolved, but he sheds his Race liberally upon us. 
people are so proud of the fact that they're unbelievers. And the sad thing is, that no wonder our world is so messed up, because they have no hope. Because let's face it, you turn on the news this afternoon, it'll be pretty depressing. The guy you like who's in office or the guy who hates in office is going to do something that you either like or dislike, but the, but you're if ultimately somebody's going to oppose him and there's going to be arguments and there's going to be all these things and people don't like people and and people don't like pronouns and people every, everybody has a problem with something somewhere then you go through all that muck with no purpose and no reason to be here then you're told we're all going to die in 20 years anyways no wonder have a world that's depressed and anxious. We have been called to a faith in a God who sees and knows, and if he can turn water into wine instantaneously, he can deal with whatever issue you have. Because our God loves you. Not just a little. Not just even a little. As someone said, he loved you this much. This was the beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And manifested, made obvious, made plain, shown to his, his glory. His glory. That he is the maker of heaven and earth. And so we're going to have the band come and we're going to sing as our reflection song, How Great Is Your Love. Because his love is more than 180 gallons of wine. His love was such that he came consented to walk among us and to suffer and to die and to rise again because that's who he is he's a God of love he's a God of creation he's a God of holiness he's God and I pray and I hope that as we continue our journey onto finding faith that like his disciples and maybe like the servants who drew the water out, we believe. And all God's people said,